All right. Aloha and welcome back to the Woman on Fire podcast. My name's Daniela. I am here with Jamie and her baby. And we have special guests that are returning today. They've been on our podcast before, sharing their adventures with baby number one and two. And now they're back for part three. (laughs) So I'm going to allow them to introduce themselves and take us on a journey with their story. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Yeah, introduce us. Do you want to do both of us or do you want to introduce each of us? So we're um, Jess and Brad Adair, and we now have three little ones. Um, And last time we were on the podcast, we talked about our first and second birth experience. And I think we were just a month or two away from having our third. So we were excited and anticipating that. And it's been 10 months now. Yeah, it's been over a year or close to a year since the last podcast. Yep. So you've had lots of time to integrate your experience and this new little love into your world. How wonderful is that? <laughs> yeah, and it's it's crazy because um he's only 10 months, but he's gonna be a big brother. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's exciting you didn't tell me that the other day when we spoke on the phone i know because i wanted to see your face congratulations Too good. you guys are good okay you got us <laughs> that's, that's special my goodness it was pretty surprising to us too Ooh, yeah yeah i was like wow we're gonna have a baby well you and we met when we met and you had that one little baby in your belly, you told me you'd like to have a big family. It's so wonderful. That's so great. Yeah. It's, you know, it's one thing to say you want a big family, but then to start <laughs> actually <laughs> being parents is another thing. So of course we still feel that way, but it's, you know, it's one thing to say it and it's another thing to do it. So, you know, uh yeah it's a big surprise I was like wow we're gonna have a baby we already have a baby that's weird but but really he's only two months younger than Ivy was when I found out I was pregnant with him so I don't know how far along I am but I imagine that these two will probably be like 18 months apart whereas he and Ivy are 20 months apart and Waylon and her are 24 months apart so they keep getting closer but you know we've done similar age gaps before so yeah yeah gonna have four yeah well you know when you're in the midst of all the stuff you're you know it's it's you're doing it you're living the life you're really going for it and I think that's beautiful <laughs> thank you well thank goodness you now live somewhere with so much land and space for everyone to roam and let out their frustrations from day to day too <laughs> yeah we're excited (laughs) yeah it's I have this theory that when people go above three they just have like many children so it's just like more many children because you see people with not to say it's a breeze but you see people with you know five six seven children and they just seem to be like fine whereas adding you know number two or number three seems so daunting you know and so I've had this theory and I've asked some people about it who have a big family and they seem to agree that like three was a little bit, you know, kind of throws you for a loop. You're a little outnumbered. And then after that, it's like, you just have more. Yeah. 
tends to be the general consensus with fam big family so yeah so that's kind of where we're at right now is like you know wow this is a little bit of a surprise not to say like we didn't like you said want to have a big family but um we know we can do it you know so we're excited mm-hmm those babies now they know they're they're meant to be a part of your family and when to come in which is you know that's a big lesson I think in parenting as well of like this surrender of trusting our children to to also know yeah yeah it's been I mean we weren't trying to obviously we weren't trying that hard you know but we also did have that sort of like disposition about it that like if that's what the plan is, then that's what the plan is. And we'll kind of just rise to the occasion. So um, we were, we were definitely a little bit more carefree about the intentionality there. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think that um, we, I mean, we were, we were kind of trying not to, but like really it was kind of like, you know, we, we want a big family. We know we want to have more than three kids. And so it was kind of like, why are we really trying? Sorry, it's like going on a diet and you don't actually want to lose weight or anything. It's just like, I don't know. I'm not doing it for me, you know, like I'm not, my heart's not in it. Like, so it just kind of happened and it felt, I was excited. I didn't believe her at first, but um, I was like, no, (laughs) no. Like, I mean, the system wasn't even back online yet you know what I mean like yeah so you know I I was like there's no way it's not possible right mm-hmm. yeah, apparently it was it's amazing what's possible uh but yeah. the way I got to experience you guys um when you were here and, um during your second pregnancy just seeing how you do choose to rise to the occasion and how you navigate life and growth and challenges I'm like yeah okay I hear you it's like oh that's a big surprise another big adventure to take on um after just going on a big adventure 10 months ago and still being in it but uh, you guys are just in some major growth and you do rise to the occasion so well you'll figure it out you'll figure it out like you are right now (laughs) yeah thank you yeah you guys are amazing thanks thank you yeah, I was going to say that some of the feedback, even from the last podcast, you know, of different folks listening to your story about how you guys really, you know, you were really vulnerable when you shared last time. And I think that was very helpful for folks for you to just be really real and raw and realistic in those things. And it, and folks had mentioned like, you know, facing adversity, there's different ways that we can approach it. And and that that is something that the two of you as a couple have um navigated in such a like in a way of being a couple like you were not isolated or separate you know you asked the hard questions you faced the the um the realness of where you were going and you did it together. You know, you listened to each other, you held space for each other's growth. And I think that that's um, a really beautiful thing. And it was nice for you to share how you did that um, as well, because that gave some insight for other folks on 
um, how maybe they could approach things. So, yeah. So with that said, <laughs> and that tiny little person in your tummy, um, yeah, we welcome you back and we look forward to hearing about how the story of your little, um, your little big guy, um, mm -hmm. unfolded. So you were, you were very pregnant and awaiting your third little love, um, last time we spoke and, and tell us a little bit about that journey. We'd love to hear it. Yeah. Well, thanks for everything you said. Definitely means a lot. Um, so yeah, in pre preparation for my third birth with Westy, I had been going through the free birth societies course, you know, the guide to free birth. Um, and that was exceptional. And I, I almost wish it wasn't titled that because I think that every human being should, should go through it. You know, it's something they should like teach in sex ed because it was so thorough and it covered everything leading up to birth and during birth and after birth and mothering and all kinds of things. It was just so, um, so thorough and well done. And so I, I learned a lot from that. I had, I had already, you know, immersed myself in all things birth in the years prior and felt that I was really knowledgeable on the subject. Um, but what that taught me a lot about was the hormonal blueprint of birth and the hormonal matrix, you know, that the, the cascade of hormones that occurs during and after birth and, and how intricate it is. And, um, and, you know, we had, I don't want to even say concerns, but like thoughts, just kind of thoughts in preparation of the idea of birthing unassisted. Um, and once I went through that course, I felt so empowered to do it. I actually felt safer, which is ironic to say, because you were at my first two births and I felt incredibly safe. So it's not to say I didn't feel safe before, but I just, I learned how much even like you know, let's say you're not in the hospital and you don't have all these interruptions and noises and check-ins and all that stuff. Even if you're just at home and someone flips on the lights or, you know, asks you a question, all these different things, even if they're not, you know, very um, intrusive, they kind of disrupt the, the way that you're, I wish I, I wish we were recording almost closer to when I was going through this course, because I can't remember all the specifics of the brain and everything, but it, it trips you up in a way, you know, even in the slightest way. And, and that can, that can interfere with the release of the hormones at the perfect, perfect time that they occur. Um, so anyways, I just felt like really safe and encouraged to do it because I knew that the more undisturbed I was, the better things would flow. And so leading up to the birth, I felt so like, so ready and so um, secure in our decision to do it alone. Um, that being said, I did hire a photographer because I've always loved having the pictures and everything. So I did have a photographer who she herself refers to herself as a birth keeper. So she, I, I felt good knowing that she um, honored that decision and it was familiar to her in a lot of different ways. So she was going to be there too. Um, so anyways, I, I think I was probably less than a week, maybe five or six days, like quote unquote overdue, um, which was the longest I've been overdue for me. Um, and it was just driving me crazy because, you know, it's the anticipation that's the hardest for me of like, you're ready for it. You're excited for it. It's the very much the unknown. So you're also nervous. 
And so I think it was like five or six days past when, when I thought it might be. And, um, it was the night before I started feeling like very mild contractions in the night, like starting at like probably 11 PM. And that was enough to like, keep me awake just in the way that like my thoughts were really going, like, I, you know, anticipating what the next day could bring and just enough to like, keep you out of sleep. Um, and so oh, this is Christmas time. This is December 16th. So I had been getting up around 4.30 every morning for a while. That was like normal for me. And I couldn't sleep throughout the night. So I got up at four, just only 30 minutes earlier, but still I was kind of um, lacking sleep anyways, and got on the couch in the living room by myself and the house was quiet. And I remember the Christmas tree was lit, just so different than my other two births that were in April, you know, and in Hawaii. So it was just a really special moment for me to kind of just like be in the stillness of what, you know, the, the day would bring amidst the Christmas tree and the decorations and everything. It was just a really sweet time on my own. Um, and then I, I continued on through the morning having consistent contractions. It was all like pretty, pretty fast. Like once I felt it that night before, um, and then I'm reading, like I have a timeline, <laughs> but I wrote down at 9am, Brad and I went for a walk. I figured like I should get out of the house, get some fresh air. And we just walked, um, down the back road that, that we live on. And it was, we didn't walk very far because I felt like I didn't want to go too far. I felt like I need to like stay close to the bathroom and whatever. We, we took a little walk and talked about our kids in our, the morning. And um, that was a nice time for us to connect before, you know, things sped up a bit. And then I put Ivy down for a nap at 1115. And that was, that was a really sweet time for me too, because just like when I was pregnant with her and I only had Waylon, I can very vividly remember that last nap that I put him down for right before birth. Um, because you have all these thoughts like this is the last we've been laying down for a nap every day with this big belly, you know, and this is the last time that this person's going to be the only child or, you know, the second child. And you just have all these thoughts. And she happened to be so obsessed with my belly, like since early on in the pregnancy, she was constantly rubbing my belly. And she referred to it as baby, but it was more so like referring to my belly than like what was inside. Cause she was only, you know, a year and a half at that time. So she loved my belly. It was totally her security blanket. And so I laid her down for a nap and she was rubbing my belly. And I was just thinking about, you know, that she was going to be a big sister soon. And, and she, we talked a lot about it, but she had no idea, you know, what to expect. And so that was just a really sweet time for her and I. And then um, Brad and Waylon, Waylon was, um, I don't know how old he was now. I feel like we have a million kids in a very short time. I don't know, but Maybe three. he was three. Yeah. So he's outside with, with Brad and they happened to be working on some excavating that needed done. So they were on the tractor together um, and I could see them outside my bedroom window. So that was cute. And um, I just had an opportunity. My mom was here too, to take care of the kids. So she's outside with them. And I just had an opportunity to finally take a nap because I felt so tired from not getting much sleep in the night. So that was nice to like, look out, know she was asleep, look out and see them busy and having, you know, fun and just feel like, okay, now I can kind of like tune inward and take care of myself and kind of rest. 
Um, so that was at 1230. And then um, while I was sleeping, I had a few larger contractions. I think I was only like resting for about 30 minutes, but there was two or three really big ones. And as I'm laying on my side, I feel and hear the largest pop sound, almost like a huge crack, like the kind of sound where you're like, you feel, I felt it for sure, but it was almost like unrecognizable. It was outside of my body and my awareness. It was so, so powerful. Um, so I sat up and immediately my water's like gushing out of me. Um, and I pulled my pants down and looked in my underwear and there was meconium. So having all the research that I've done and all the, you know, education that I've been through, I knew that meconium in the waters was a variation of normal, but still it's a variation. It's, you know, something that's not ideal necessarily. It's something that I need to be now like somewhat thinking about and preparing for, you know, things that could occur because of this. And it was just this interesting moment that I was like, wow, I have made this decision to not have a medical professional here. You know, granted, my husband is an incredible medical, formerly, yeah. formerly special forces medic, but like, you know what I mean? In the way of birth, like I've, I've made this conscious decision to not have a medical birth professional here. And now here I am in this situation where it's like, it is a little bit alarming because it's like, okay, now I've got this situation here. Right. And I just remember thinking like, wow, now I've got to put my feet to the fire. Like this is, this is the situation that I'm dealt. You know, you never know what kind of hand you're going to be dealt. And that was it. So, um, I, I text Brad and I, I think I told you then, or maybe I just said, I need you to come inside. And I needed to tell somebody that that had happened. Like, cause it just felt like I just needed to share this little secret that had occurred. Like there's meconium, like don't be alarmed, but also like there's this situation, you know? Um, and so anyways, I got in the shower and then I got in the bath to labor and I called the photographer to come and she kind of stayed on the phone with me just to, she lives 40 minutes away. So she was kind of wanting to like know what the situation was. Um, and she just stayed on mute and I just had her there so she could hear me. And I was in the bath um, and the contractions were strong, but they were further apart. Um, and then she arrived at at 2 p.m. at this point. So um, from 2 p.m. when she arrived, when they were a little bit further apart till 2.40, I know this because I watched the videos, I started to say things like, I'm getting to the point where I want to run away from it. And seeing myself in the videos, I know exactly what that felt like, you know, where you're just like, I just want to escape this. Like, I wish I could just go outside and leave and like be gone and leave this situation, but you can't. Um, so I don't know, in looking back on that, I, I probably could have realized then that I was as far along as I, as I was in the process, you know, because that's a pretty intense feeling. So, but, and it was early on. Um, so I was telling Brad that there was too much pressure on my lower back. Um, and that didn't seem like that significant to me at the time, but it definitely um, played a big part in things later. But there was so much pressure on my lower back. And our tub is very um, like narrow. It's like longer and narrow. And, and I'm 
tall, you know? So it was a very uncomfortable, I think maybe it was a little over an hour at most, a very uncomfortable time. Like a lot of the contractions I'm laying back and you wouldn't really know that I'm having like such intense contractions because I'm just breathing through it and I'm relaxed, but it was very uncomfortable. I could not get comfort. I couldn't feel relieved of the pain, you know? So it was just, it was tough. Um, and I, uh, got out of the tub at 2:45. It was just too con- confining and, um, had Brad, we have this little like foam mat, like leather mat. And I had him put it just right outside of the bathroom in our bedroom at the foot of our bed next to, um, a bench that we have. So I had him put some chucks pads down and some towels and I was just going to get out just to have more space. Although I really, really wished that I could be in the water because it was so enjoyable to have a water birth with Ivy. And a large part of me wonders too, if it was so like peaceful and less painful because of that. So that was a bummer, but I just was in that state of mind where you're just like, I can't figure this out. Like this is not comfortable and something's got to give here. Um, so I got out and we tried so many different things. I, I felt in my mind, when you see the videos, you wouldn't agree with this term, but in my mind, I felt like I was writhing, like just trying to figure out what can bring relief and what will work or what's best and just moving all around. And, you know, even as I hear myself say that, it's like, that was the relief is just moving all around, you know, and trying to figure it out. So that's kind of what I was doing. Um, Brad would offer every now and then when I just, make a complaint he would you know try to offer a suggestion or you know have some kind of like position that we could try um and then there's one point in this video i just saw earlier where i said um there's no escaping it and you're not supposed to (laughs) because that's kind of what i was thinking was like yeah i want to run away from this but like the whole point is that you can't and you shouldn't and there's just no way to you know so I remember having that conscious thought. Um, And then there were also times where I would say to them, like the photographer would just kind of be sitting there in between her pictures she'd be taking or Brad just kind of like watching me or contemplating. And I would say like, guys, don't look at me so much. I just really don't like to be observed. Um, And then just a minute later, I told him, talk to me, babe, talk to me. Um, and that, that was so big for me to like reflect back on because, um, you know, we talked about that in preparing for an unassisted birth is that I, I really wanted to rely on myself and I didn't want to be observed. And I, I don't feel like I lose all inhibition when I'm in birth. Like I'm very much aware of like my modesty or, you know, other people's presence. Like I didn't want any of that. So that still rang true, but I also felt like, I am needing to be so physically strong right now that I just need him to keep me mentally strong. So I didn't want to be observed, but I didn't want him so far away to where he wasn't able to like hold the space and really like keep me in a good frame of mind. Um, So at one point the photographer went out for a while and Brad had my leg up. I was on my side, laying on my side and he had one leg up on top of the birth ball. Um, Do you remember that moment? And I was just able to like connect with you and I was like joking with you, like, do you still love me? Like, (laughs) do you remember that? (laughs) 
vaguely. I don't remember that being the question. But... I feel like I got a little break and I was I was like finding humor in the situation that I was like I felt like that, such that a wreck. familiar, but not not that line specifically. Yeah, because like you're holding my leg up, like it's not a it's yeah. not a nice like situation. <laughs> like I just felt like a mess, so I was just like, you still love me. Um, yeah, I felt like I got a little break there. Um, but I kept feeling inside and I, I could feel that he was not like super, super close. So it's just like, you're in it, you're in the throes of it. You're kind of also just like waiting around, you know, it just felt endless at that point. Um, so I told Brad that I wanted there to be more progress and he suggested leaning over the bench, kind of like how I gave birth to Waylon. I was leaning over our couch with one leg up one knee bent, you know, and one leg up, like one foot on the ground and one knee on the ground. And so he recommended that. And uh, yeah, I got what I asked for. It was, it was a lot more progress and a lot more pressure. Like, oh yeah. Um, again, I just wonder, I, I wonder so much what, what the experience would have been if I was in water compared to like leaned out. And maybe even if I wasn't in that position, it'd be the same intensity, but for that reason or just because it was it was so intense so incredibly powerful and intense um and what's interesting is like it it, it was like Waylon's birth in that way that it was hard and powerful but I don't I never felt like I was like taken through like the cosmos and like you know transcending this experience it was just so hard and raw and I was just in it um and I remember having like conscious thoughts though, too, of like, first of all, I had the thought, like, I never want to do this again. Never, ever, ever, ever. Am I doing this again? Like, that's some relief knowing that I won't do this again. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then I remember also having the thought of like, I don't, I really don't ever watch TV, but for some reason in like the few days before I got my laptop out and I was like letting myself rest and enjoy Netflix in bed. And I was watching this like movie that had this movie that was based on a book I used to read. So I was really enjoying that. And I remember thinking to myself in labor that like pretty soon I can just be in bed watching my, my movie, <laughs> like just trying to help myself, like pretty soon this will be over. You'll be in bed. You're not even thinking like, I'll have my baby and we'll all be able to enjoy. I'm just like, I get to watch my movie. Like it was horrible. <laughs> So um, I was very, very vocal. Like I had had all this preparation to have an unassisted birth and the hormonal matrix and how I can make it absolutely pain-free. You know, I, I wasn't holding myself to that standard as much as I did with the first birth, but still I had this, um, this potential I felt to have this like transcendent, you know, pain-free birth. And here I was like, it was so intense and I was so, so incredibly vocal and I had asked Brad to really coach me through it vocally. So he was on the bench with his back to our bed and I was bent over his legs um, and I was on my knees and he really coached me through it um, really well. He told me to take big, deep, powerful breaths because I was like grunting and just like holding my breath, like, you know, in the throes of it. And so he told me to take big, deep, powerful, powerful breaths and to prepare myself between contractions for the next one. Cause I was just, I was like on a roller coaster. Whereas when he started doing that, it really grounded me and centered me to be like, okay, that was really tough, 
but you're going to have another tough one. So you need to like get your head in the game and really like get yourself strong before this next one versus like coming off of one and being like, ah, and then it comes again, you get hit by another wave. You know, it's like, you need to be anticipating this and preparing yourself, even if you only have, you know, 10 seconds in between. So I felt like he really held me down well in that way. Um, and another thing that he said was to picture him, our son in your head and every breath is bringing him down. So take big belly breaths and come back to center. Like once I started to come down, he would tell me to come back to center. And that was so helpful because otherwise I felt like I was just kind of like spiraling, you know, um, and I could hear myself. I, I never had been so vocal and I was just like, like the, like really, really loud, deep, um, grunting yells, you know? And I also remember having this thought, I think it was maybe it was either in the course that I took or like a podcast episode I had. I think it was from Yolanda though, um, the creator of that course. And I, I remember her talking about the drama of birth and her, she, she often like refers to herself as like, just being like very dramatic and like theatrical over things. And I remember her sharing a story about like how in one of her births, she just I think somebody actually told her she had like a midwife or somebody like a wise woman with her. And they told her to just like, stop it, like, just stop, you know, but it was in a very like loving way. But in some way they were just like, just don't do that anymore. Kind of, you know, and she did. And she was kind of like, yeah, why am I doing that? You know? And so I, I had, I had that thought and I just allowed myself to stop. I was just like, I'm, at the very least, just exerting way too much energy into these loud vocal noises. So I, I did just kind of like tone it down. Um, and I remember I never, I never felt, um, like scared as much as it was like so intense and powerful. I never felt scared. I felt really like grounded and comforted by, um, Brad and his support. Um, so it was <laughs> obviously like the biggest, most powerful thing if I'm saying I would never do it again despite like wanting you know loving birth and and having like so much life lesson come from my birth and wanting a big family like I'm never doing this again like that's how intense it was but I wasn't scared you know I really felt safe and secure in that situation too um so then at one point I I was so I was in so much pain that I was gripping Brad's shorts on either one of his, either side of his legs. So I never, once I was really in it, felt inside of me again, since I had just been like kind of laboring. So I didn't really know how far along I was. They all felt incredibly tense. So intense. So I, I, I hadn't felt, I didn't know where I was at necessarily. And then I suddenly had this like huge full body expanding contraction and I was reading my teeth and I was clutching Brad's leg with every ounce of my strength when suddenly and like what felt like so randomly we heard a cry and it really felt like I remember in my mind it felt like someone burst into the room with a crying baby like at the worst time <laughs> like like we're trying to have a baby who brought this screaming baby into the room I remember it feeling like that because it was I just wasn't connected to my body by like touching or anything, given the position to know that we were so close. And he just, I mean, I remember like it was very intense and I got quiet and it was like, 
things were happening, but to hear the cry was shocking, absolutely shocking. And, and also Ivy was born in water. So it was very slow and peaceful. And I brought her up slowly out of the water after she had already been emerged, you know, after she had already emerged from me. So that was different. Waylon did not cry for a little while afterward. We kind of had to like, you know, rub him and bring him to. So I guess also too, because it was my first experience of having a baby just scream and cry. It was shocking. And I was still bent over Brad. And so I, on my knees, leaned my upper body back and looked down and saw a face looking up at me. It was the most shocking, surreal moment. Like he didn't even look real. It was, you know, you know, you're in birth and you know, you're about to have a baby, but like just to see his face looking up at me was just so shocking. And he was crying. It just happened so fast. Um, and in another instant, his body was out and he fell like so gently into my hands and onto the mat. And it was just, it was so fast. And what's also crazy is that when I looked down, I saw his face looking up at me. So he was sunny side up. And then I, I'm reflecting on those videos today and I'm hearing myself talk about the back pain, the lower back pain. And so it all starts to make sense to me that like, that's maybe why it was so intense and so painful, you know, because his position. So, um, yeah, that was, that was also new for me. And, and he was just covered in poop, just absolutely covered in poop. There's poop everywhere. <laughs> um, and I pulled him up from the ground and onto my belly. And I just looked up with Brad with absolute shock and disbelief. And he just calmly looked at us with a small smile and tears in his eyes. And it was just like an incredible moment. You know, we had just been through, I felt like I had just been through hell, you know, and then now it's just like, he's here and it's just, it's all fine. You know, it's all good. And he's, he's okay. It's a big, huge mess. And the whole thing was messy, but it's like, it's okay. He's here and I'm holding him and I'm telling him like, I know that was so hard and it's okay. And, you know, another thing is like, when I watch these videos, I don't necessarily hear it that way. So it's interesting, like your perception of things versus like maybe what the reality was. But in that moment, when I heard that cry, it to me was a cry of like, um, he was really, really unhappy. Like, I, I don't know, like, I just had this feeling that he really didn't like that. Like what just had happened was like really upsetting to him and he was not okay with that. And he clutched me, you see in the video, he clutches my my side of my boob and, and my body and he's like holding on to me, you know? And, and I also always refer back to Piper when after we had Waylon, she said to me that like all her births have been very indicative of her children who they have like then come to be and like who she's known them to be as they've grown and that's that's so true about this because Westy is such a big love he's a gentle giant he really loves to be like comfortable and content and yeah, I just, from that very first moment, I felt like, man, he just didn't want to be bothered like that, you know, like that wasn't good for him. And he just wants to be cozy again. <laughs> and it was just like, so interesting in the days to follow to like learn him and to see that he's just such a like cuddly, cozy kind of guy. Um, so anyways, um, yeah, I was like looking at Brad and just, I'm in absolute shock and, and he's just 
looking at us like so just so happy and has such a sweet look on his face and um my mom was in the other room with the kids um watching a movie and she said that the second the movie ended was when they heard the baby's first cry and I totally believe that because the baby came out I pulled him up I'm looking at Brad there's like a knock on the door the kids are at the door (laughs) so immediately I'm like it's okay turn around turn around you know like get get ready like have them come in and see and we open the door and Ivy her face was like absolute shock and like not horror in a bad way but just like she could not believe her eyes like what is going on here why is my mom looking the way she is like what is that thing she's holding like it was absolute shock whereas Wayland's like a little smiley excited you know he's coming in um and it was so interesting to me because it happened in a second right going from that moment of like and then this cry and then the baby's out and then the kids are here like it was within a second it felt like and I remember being in so much pain after like like I was just telling Brad like he's like asking what kind of pain I'm like it's like pain inside and outside and the muscles and the skin and the everything hurts but yet here my kids come in and I just like put on a brave face for them and like I'm considering their experience and I'm not trying to like pat myself on the back but it's so indicative of motherhood you know because you have to go through so you don't have to you get to go through so many like really really hard things but you still show up for your kids in the way that's best for them you know and it was just like really cool for me to kind of have that experience where I was like wow I really did like the harder thing for them you know and even though it was like incredibly hard for me like I was very mindful of their experience and in the videos like you can't even tell but I was watching myself almost like an outer body experience. You know, when you watch these videos, you're like, wow, I was out of my mind in pain. And yet here I am like talking sweetly to my kids and showing them the baby and, you know, explaining to Waylon why there's so much poop. And that's like the ideal situation for him, you know, like there's poop everywhere. And it's just the best. Like it was such a really happy, fun, sweet time amidst like so much physical pain and agony. Um, and then shortly after my mom came in and that that was cool, you know, for her to be able to see that first moment and see her grandkids meeting for the first time and, you know, seeing that I was okay. Cause she heard me the whole time. Like, and I, I can't imagine what that would feel like, you know, to, to hear Ivy going through that knowing and trusting birth, but still to like hear your child, you know, going through it. So for her to be able to walk in and like witness that was just really like sweet time um and yeah then we got in the bath because he was covered in poop so you know I had no intention of washing my babies immediately let alone for a while but we that guy he needed some cleanup so got back in the bath and Ivy was helping with that so much she was bringing over towels and rubbing him and yeah it was just such a like united experience um and then we just got in bed. And, and so I think I, I gave birth like around three something. So it was the middle of the day, you know, we were able to like enjoy all of that and weigh the baby. And I remember we held him up in the um, scale, you know, with the, the blanket thing in the scale and Ivy peeking in and saying, baby cozy. 
it was just a really cute time and and we were able to get get in bed and um go to sleep at a decent time I've had I've had really good luck with my my birth times um and we gave the kids their cars that the baby gave them just like we did with the other two you know like an old antique really nice car and said that the baby brought it for them and they loved that um and Ivy was still rubbing my belly my soft saggy you know empty belly she still loved it despite like it not being the firm you know round ball that she had grown to be so comforted by and yeah it was just she was helping so much it was just the best you know um and it's like moments like that where even though birth is so hard you're just like oh I'll do it so many more times (laughs) So yeah, that was, that was the experience. And then I, it, it's so interesting to like come full circle because it was, it was really in a lot of ways, just as hard as Wayland's, whereas his, I allowed to send me into like absolute victimhood and like being way too hard on myself over, you know, did I do very well or whatever. And I remember maybe that night, I think it was that same night I had this like sudden realization a sudden like thought about the whole thing that um it was incredibly hard but it was it was okay I was like totally cool with it I felt great about it actually and I I felt that I I did what I needed to do um and I made a post about it because I started having all these thoughts of like wow I bet you well and I know people will tell me like oh wow you're just so incredible or you're so strong you know and it's like I just went through that. And for someone to think that I have like a higher pain tolerance than somebody else, or that I'm stronger, it's not the case at all, at all. You know, it's just that I have my convictions and that uh, I was sharing that, you know, that doing it this way has a lot of benefits, but it's raw and it's primal and it's oftentimes very difficult. Um, But that's the exact foundation upon which I've built my belief system on is that I can do hard things. And that I can do things I really don't want to do, but I need to do. And that I'm powerful. I'm more powerful than my mind wants me to even think sometimes. And that I don't need to succumb to fear or doubt. Um, And I just, I didn't allow myself to get victimized. I just, I felt really good with it being hard. And I let it be a reminder to me of how capable I am. And through fear and resistance, I can power through and that I'm someone who will uphold what's important to me no matter what. And more than anything, it's a reminder of like the depths that I'm willing to go for my family, you know? So I felt like a freaking badass after that. <laughs> it was not what I what I wanted, quote unquote. It's not what I had hoped for. Uh, it's very similar to something I experienced before that was absolutely horrible. I let it spiral out of control. But I felt so good about it. I was like, I did that. That was freaking hard and I did it. So yeah, I just, I, I walked away from it, like totally empowered and, um, kind of didn't think a lot about it much after that, you know, I didn't like stew on it or it's just like, yeah, that's what it was and that's what it took. And that's fine. That's pretty much it. (laughs) Oh, wow. Thank you for sharing the depths of your initiation right even though it wasn't your first baby it's still an initiation into now a mother of three and how going through it I mean 
kind of help prepare you to like okay now I can mother three <laughs> right yeah and can you share a bit about the placenta birth yes um so what's so interesting is that you know I'm I'm pregnant so I as much as I said I'd never do this again I'm, I'm very <laughs> blessed and thankful to, to even have the opportunity to do it again if that's where this leads me you know um but in preparation for this next birth my next like you know thing I want to kind of dive into is is actually Yolanda um Yolanda's book Portal um she you know she's I think pregnant with what her 10th baby and she feels that she finally like tapped into like what it takes to have a truly like pain-free blissful birth um and so that's kind of I, I ordered that book and I'm excited to explore that and it's so much deeper it seems than than birth and just kind of exploring like what are the deep-rooted um perspectives and belief systems that that are the foundation of like you know your experiences or how you experience things and all that and so I I am curious to see how that will play out with the placenta because I I hear so many birth stories where people are like you know I, I said like you can come out it's time and the placenta just comes out you know <laughs> it's like I don't have that experience I don't like it I feel like I just went through all that I don't want to have to you know it's not like it's incredibly painful but it's another experience that is not very comfortable usually you know and after such an intense birth it's like the last thing you want to do is have any single another ounce of, of discomfort you know so I do usually struggle with the placenta birth and and I rewarded myself right like not even reward, and it's not like a total reward you just get in bed but like I was very much looking forward to getting in bed right so I get in bed and that's not very conducive either to getting a placenta out but again you don't really want to be like you know on all fours or like hunched over the toilet at that point you're just like spare me right so I got into bed and you know after a while it's like oh yeah, yeah you should probably like work on getting that thing out and it was work I had to I had to get up onto my hands and knees in the bed and like kind of push and it's just not usually fun for me and it really wasn't um but you know I did some tugging and it came out it wasn't like a horrific thing it's just not you know my favorite experience so anyways I bring up about the book and preparation for the next birth, birth to see I, I'm curious to explore like what are some deeper connotations I have to that and like if I were able to like let go of those and kind of explore them and to heal myself through some things I wonder what a placenta birth could be like for me you know down the road so we'll see but anyways it came out and um we I had the, a little yarn to tie on his belly um so we all did that together and then did you and Waylon mm. cut it yeah yep he and Waylon cut the cord um and it was so cool to just like take things at our own pace and it's always been that way even with Jamie it's nothing's like rushed or you know has like a timeline you know but just to hang out in bed and kind of like squish up the cord and talk about what the you know veins are in there and all that and with the kids um so yeah, it was just a really peaceful, easy time. And and he was born on the 17th of December. So shortly after we had Christmas with our brand new baby and New Year's and it was just such a happy, good time. He was such an easy, sweet baby from the start. Oh, 
thanks for sharing that part um i'm like the birth isn't complete until we have the placenta out <laughs> yeah um, but yeah that's right i i remember at least from my perspective in your second birth where you ended up on the birth stool in the shower and like yeah it took some intentional effort to yeah. get it out it didn't just slide out like oh there it is like but uh-huh. And it was smooth. It's just like, yeah, everything's tender and uncomfortable. Like, just leave everything alone, please. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because my mom will tell you that when I was a kid, I would let my teeth just like hang by a thread and just fall out like by accident because I just did not want to like go through the process of like pulling it out or, you know, and it's it's way more intense to have a thing dangling forever than to just get get it over with. But that's just always been like my disposition. That's That's essentially what I mean by like people can... I think that I am like way stronger than everybody else or have, you know, higher pain tolerance. It's just that I have convictions about certain things and like, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been really interesting too, to like kind of utilize that birth in different ways. Cause, um, like I was just sharing with somebody that I have a friend who's going through something really, really hard, um, a medical situation with her baby and, we were on the phone the other day and I was talking to her about it. And I just started having these realizations that like birth is, I told her, I was like, birth is like the blueprint for motherhood, you know, because you, she, this particular friend also chose to have her first home birth with this baby. Um, She had a kind of a traumatizing hospital experience with her first and she, you know, wanted that redemption and, And she did it. And I was telling her it's the blueprint, you know, because you've already done a really, really hard thing for this baby. You've already proven to yourself who you are and what you're capable of. And now you have this experience, this opportunity to do it again, to really like prove to him and to you that you can do it. And that even though this is really, really tough, you're going to get through it and you know exactly what to do. You're his mother. Like, I don't know. It's just, it was just cool to, to be able to reflect and say like, birth is hard, but so is mothering. And it shows you that like, it's okay for it to be hard. And it's, it's just a reflection of your capabilities. It is so deep, the blueprint of life, perhaps. Mm -hmm. And as I say this, it's not to negate the other ways that babies come through, you know, if it's through cesarean, if it's without contractions, you know, all these, it doesn't mean that there isn't still power and love and connection there. Um, but there just is something to be said about um, the primal biological way that nature did design it. And um, there's a, that one guy, Michelle O'Donnell, that theorizes about natural birth and how it sets people up to be able to love, right? And when we're interrupting this cascade of hormones for mom and baby, you're interrupting their capacity to love and connect Mm -hmm. and feel and work through challenges in life and reality um, so that we're really inhibiting um, our emotional capacity, if you will, uh, for the long-term right? It's not just that moment, but like I said, the foundation for motherhood, the foundation for life, for mom yeah. and baby. Um, so yeah, it, it's deep. It matters a lot. Um, I have some questions that kind of came up from 
throughout your story if we can kind of go back a bit um I'm gonna go back to like the way beginning and this one's for you Brad and I was just wondering what it was like for you preparing for a free birth with your family and just your side of that part um yeah so it was a little different obviously Jess had she kind of approached me about it like what do you think about me doing a free birth I don't remember the question bothering me at all um it was just kind of like okay sure kind of thing like that's what you want to do um you know have you thought it through like do you feel ready like asking like the typical like parental questions of like you know like have you thought about this are you ready yeah okay sure I mean do you remember any different well I think there was there was a few different like thoughts on it first of course you were just like yeah like whatever you think you know if that's what you feel good about um there was the discussion over um the fact that my birth so this is the first birth away from Hawaii away from Jamie and Daniela so it's the matter of like this birth team has supported you in so many ways beyond just like actually giving birth that's right yeah it's like the beyond where (laughs) now we're without family here and we have two children to care for so your concern was like I don't postpartum stuff yeah mainly yes that was my thing was the postpartum stuff not like whether or not you can do it mm -hmm. or like it wasn't intimidating but I was like I mean, those ladies were really helpful last time. Like, I mean, they had like the washing machine going, like they were bringing you drinks. Like, you know, I was able to just be present and a a partner in the process. Like I wasn't having to like leave the room for anything. And you guys were like worker bees, like bouncing in and out, like predicting like needs, like here's some like electrolytes mixed with something and like all, you know, all this stuff, like you know, and I was like, are you sure? Like, because like, I think maybe like, I know she doesn't see that stuff. It's not possible. I hardly notice it. It's like, not until somebody pops up with like a mason jar with, you know, nettle tea or something like that. You realize that somebody like was in the kitchen finding like hot water, making it and doing all this like work on our behalf. So I was like, okay, I mean, are you sure? Because like, there's a lot of work, you know, and now we have two kids. So um, but I don't know. I'm, I always go into a lot of stuff that it's just kind of like, yeah, let's just do it. And then we'll figure it out along the way. That's kind of my whole like life approach. That's how I do anything is like, I'll, even if the first step is in a totally wrong direction, I will just take the first step immediately and just like, kind of like fail almost intentionally fail. And then just, that just tells you don't, that you don't do it that way, you know? So with this, it wasn't really any different. Um, I figured like, we'll just figure it out. Like nobody's going to die. Like that's for sure. Like, you know, I mean, so what's the worst that can happen? We can, you know, have a few tough hours, maybe a full day of postpartum misery because we didn't prepare well enough and we don't have help. So, you know, we kind of just figured it out. Um, but for me, the majority of the preparation was not was non-existent like I mean I I was like you know we had already done two births together and 
there was nothing new going to be really popping up. I mean, sure, like there's some, you know, potential like variations and things that can happen, but, and some did happen, but none of it is worth like buying an encyclopedia and like stressing yourself and like going down into like rabbit holes over. And so my whole thing was just reminding myself to give her more space than usual because she had a desire to, do this, you know, go through the process in a more independent fashion than, than we had in the past. And so she still, you know, wanted me there, but like, I think she needed to communicate to me her needs more so than the last couple of times, because I was really just willing to just stand back and try to let her do it as much on her own as possible. And there was even like, one time where I offered some encouragement and I could see the photographer like nodding her head, like trying to get me to do more of it. And I was like, I, I'm not gonna like take this away. Like, <laughs> like it's like, um, the, you know, you see videos of people like finishing like marathons and they're like, you know, like crawling across the finish line and everybody's like, nobody touch them, let them do it on their own. And it was like, you people are like, that's horrible. What are you doing? And it's like, that person wants to be there. Like that, that's totally what they want right now. Like they're not asking anybody for help for a reason. And so I was like, okay, I will just let her ask me for help more so than I would the last few times, which um, I felt comfortable doing because we had done a few, um, a couple births now. Um, but for, for the most part, it was really just laid back and relaxed and, at the end, I really had to kind of become more involved. Um, but that was just kind of going back to the basics of, you know, helping her refine her center, focus on your breath. I mean, just the kind of stuff that it, it worked really well in birth, but this is like how we've solved normal problems throughout like our day-to-day -day life, which is like, okay, you're freaking out. Like, look at your face. It's all contorted and just relax, take a few deep breaths come back to center and then don't focus on losing, just focus on existing in the moment, like for now. And then, I mean, that was really it. There was, it was just kind of what we do in our day-to-day -day life for each other anyways. It just, maybe the uh, emotions were a little bit higher. Well, I was just, oh, I was gonna say, sorry, really quick that that's one of the like cliche, but you know, we birth as we live. And so for you to like see that and reflect on that, that's how you guys work through life. Anyway, that makes perfect sense. It's like the, why it's a cliche because <laughs> it is also real. <laughs> yeah, I, I do remember though that discussion about me potentially being romanticizing this whole, like doing it being raw. And he's like, that's one thing to say that, but like, do you think you're really going to not want like, you know, all the support and all the fluff and the extra that they do? And it's so makes your experience so wonderful. And, um, and while I did want to kind of explore it being more primal and just kind of like roughing it, I knew he was right, even just in having help with the kids. So my intention was to have a postpartum doula to like have help with that. And I got the meals, you know, set up. So I did put some systems in place to kind of like, um, not just honor, you know, his concerns, but also to help facilitate that for us. Um, but one thing also you did say as we, cause it wasn't just a one and done conversation. Um, one thing down the road you did say is like, you have to think that even if you do need to transfer, 
and it's not an, a, like a very serious emergency because I also learned that most transfers are not like true emergencies. It's just a situation that needs to be tended to. He's like, if you need to transfer, that will significantly change your birth experience. Like, you don't know what that will cause you to feel or think if you need to transfer, whether it's a true emergency or not, like that will change everything. And that was really, really real and raw for me to have to think about that, you know, like, am I willing to sacrifice the entire experience? This is what it was, is you were saying like, you know, even if it's not a true emergency, but it's something that a midwife would be able to tend to easily and you don't have her there. So that because of that, you need to transfer in an ambulance. He's like, that makes for a completely different situation and outcome. And you have to be willing to be okay with that if that's the case. And that was so kind of just eye-opening for me because I was like, yeah, that's, that's true. If I'm going to commit to this, then I have to accept that as a very possible outcome right and I have to come to terms with that 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 could be the case and so I did accept that obviously like that I was I came to terms with that but that's another thing that they went over in the free birth course was like about death you know that not every birth ends in life on either side and the reality of that and and that you know this is very real raw stuff especially for people who have walked through it I can't even imagine so I hope I don't come off like sounding very like you know cavalier about it but it's the idea that like you you birth and you die like within your home and your family and it's like family centered if that were to be the case and what that would look like and also the risks the major risks of if something like that were to happen at home especially you know, in a birth that was unattended. And so I really, really took a deep dive into that subject too, and had to find like, um, my, uh, confidence through the potential of that also. And I have people that are very close to me that have had stillborn babies. And, you know, I just, I can't imagine that. And I, and there's been a lot of, um, there's been a lot of situations that have happened recently in our, in our local community that have been absolutely tragic. And, it's just as much as it's tragic, it's also such an opportunity to really just be so grateful and have like zero expectations. Like, yes, I'm pregnant, but that's not to say that I'm for sure going to have a baby, you know? Um, and I have friends that have walked through that. My sister, you know, had a stillborn baby and, and that's the reality of it. And even recently we lost one of our cows. We have two dairy cows, you know, and they're like pets to us and one day suddenly one of them was down with an injury who knows how it happened she's just down she's not even two years old like there's no reason for her to be down and out we tended to her for weeks and we hoped it was just like you know a deficiency or an imbalance of some sort and it wasn't it turned out to be an injury and and we tended to that herself that ourselves you know brad put her down and i had a family member ask me like well why don't you have somebody else come and take care of that or, you know, take her away or whatever it is that you would need to do. And, and it was just like, without even thinking, I had this response of like, because she's our responsibility, because this is a part of our life, her bringing her into our life and assuming the responsibility of her like parents, so to speak, is taking on the responsibility of her entire life, even through the end of her life, you know? And so, so that that's our responsibility. We're not going to just like kick the can to somebody else to take care of, to come in and just handle that for us. It's like, that's our job. You know, we're going to 
we're going to tend to her and honor her life all through her life and even beyond. And I mean, easy for me to say, I didn't have like a huge part of it. You know, Brad really did that, but it was not easy for him. He's done that before in his, in his um, military experience. He's been trained to do that, but to do that to an animal that you love and have been bonded to, and you feel a sense of responsibility for, it was just really like beautiful to see him tend to her so lovingly and, and carefully and to honor her body the entire way. And even afterwards, and I don't know, it just, so anyways, I, I told my family member, like, it's just a no brainer for us because we birth at home and death happens at home too, you know? So yeah, that's just kind of like my perspective on things now is like, it's not always perfect. It's not always beautiful. It's not always guaranteed any of it in life but that's a part of life, you know? So just coming to terms with that and, and, um, accepting it for whatever it may be. I was going to say that you can have all the safeguards in place and, and still not have that guarantee and different people have different safeguards. I think that is also something to really honor and respect, you know, sometimes that safeguard is not to, to step into a system. And sometimes that safeguard is to be completely engulfed in that system and that there's a lot of importance in like having resonance for, for that individual and what is appropriate for them as opposed to imposing what we think is right for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Things can happen in any setting and they do. Yeah. Um, along these lines, I wanted to cycle back to the meconium part of it. And I have a few questions about it. Because you said when baby was born, there was actually a lot of it on him. So when you first saw your waters release and you saw meconium in it, I was curious, well, how much did you see? So at that time, was it already thick and like a lot of it? Or was it just kind of green stained fluid? I think it was the fluid was stained. Yeah. And you said you then called Brad in and let him know and I was curious how that was for you Brad what what were your thoughts around it um I, I don't recall being rattled by that uh I just asked her I said okay well how much and you know what's what's the situation you know how are you feeling and nothing seemed to, to be a big deal so I didn't like really choose to you know, think too far into it, like, very, very much like anything that I do, you know, whether it's like some kind of extreme sport or anything like that, like after a certain point, like you kind of just, I just get into this zone where it's like, if it's not like immediate, like blood and guts, like, we're, we're just continuing on with the plan. Like, and that's kind of, uh, we were past that point for me. So it was like, okay, a little bit of meconium. Okay. Was it bad? Like big deal like asked her a few questions and I was like, okay, well then let's kind of just forget about it. And, you know, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. And if more signs keep arising, then, then we'll escalate it. But there wasn't any need to, it was very, 
mild, I think. All right. So for the rest of the experience and your labor, you were just in the moment and you had already, you checked in about it and then you set that there and you didn't necessarily keep thinking about it the rest of the way. Yeah. yeah I never thought about it again. I feel like there's, there was a moment, at least it looked to me in the video where afterward, when he cried, his cries were clear, a couple clear cries. And then mm. you heard one that was a little more gargly sounding. And I can, I felt that I could see in the video, you like give a little bit more, you to like turn your disposition kind of change to more like medical professional, like uh, I'm going to check this out. Whereas I was just holding it. Like I didn't have that moment of like primal instincts where I'm like, I need to, you know, pat his back. And I was just like, you know, I just got hit by a bus kind of thing. So I did see that. I did see you kind of like have this change that, of, yeah. of tone, but you know, that was after he was born, but yeah. yeah. And then I remember wanting you to like kind of lean him mm -hmm. forward a little bit just so he can expel anything, but that it was more of a like back of the throat type, like gargle. It wasn't mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, like water like aspirating in lungs or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, and it, and it was only like one or two, if I recall, like cries. And then it was like, okay. And so it was just something to keep in the back of our mind after that. It was like, okay, well, there is a possibility. And so then it's like, what do you do? You just, you, it, it wouldn't matter if you knew anything about it or not. If the baby starts to have a fever or they show like labored breathing, it, it doesn't matter the source, right? Like there, there's an issue now. <laughs> like, so yeah, I mean, it was just kind of like, okay. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing how, about how you navigated this variation um, that like sometimes it's something, most of the time it's not, but how was it for you? So, because that is a big piece of when it is all fully in your hands to try to make sense of something. Mm -hmm. um, so, awesome. Clearly it was totally fine for your baby. Yep. Yeah. He's super healthy. Yeah. and most of the time you know 98% of the time it is an issue um and I think that there's sort of like trying to change the narrative around that because it used to be told that it's an issue if um if you see meconium because then that must mean a sign of distress but it doesn't actually necessarily mean that at all um so trying to yeah change that narrative because i do think that the obstetrical world really looks at um it's getting better or at least in certain places i feel like it's getting better but it is sort of um one of those like uh-oh situations where it is i think just taking note of it and having that like awareness is a more healthy view of it versus assuming that something is wrong yeah yeah and just in keeping with the theme of like how birth is like yeah, how we birth is you know how we live life is Wesson poops a lot so like he I mean the kid burns through diapers like nobody's <laughs> business so it's like it was a perfect intro it was definitely Waylon's like dream situation it just from like poop from the start he did poop so much that yeah. first day it was incredible it's like, constantly just yeah. poop everywhere poor guy I hope he never it, hears yeah. this <laughs> he eats a lot yeah eats a lot poops a lot 
he's our first big baby too. We prayed for a big chunk and you know, our other babies were just normal. And he's just been, I remember that first night looking at his hands and being like, this is a big guy. Cause he wasn't, he was just only a few ounces bigger yeah. than Waylon. He wasn't no, he was eight pounds, nine ounces. Waylon was seven pounds, seven ounces. I, he was six pounds. Seven no, ounces. he was eight pounds, not nine pounds. No, eight pounds, eight ounces. Waylon seven, seven. Ivy was six, seven. We're going to have to disagree on that eight one. Pounds. What are you talking about? <laughs> he was only a few ounces bigger. Waylon was in the eights. Okay. Well, anyways, I remember his hands being huge and I was like, this guy's going to be big. And he, he just blew up. He's 24 pounds. Ivy's 27 pounds. Yeah. He's just such a big <laughs> love. We were so crazy about him. Yeah. He's thick. Trying to keep up with his older siblings. My goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, it's amazing to hear how each story is truly so different, right? Based on their position, based on wherever you are in life, you know. Um, and yeah, you pushed out an OP baby girl. You pulled yeah. that off. Woo. Yeah, it kind of makes me feel better because, you know, hopefully that won't happen again and it will be easier. But yeah, that was oh. shocking just look down and see him looking right back at me i'll i'll leave you with this tidbit that's fresh on my mind from some mamas i've supported recently and um you know i don't know what your future holds obviously but you know i've had moms who you know they had their op baby and then i'm with them helping them with the next baby and then with the next labor they're waiting for the labor to be just as intense as it was with the op baby but then the next baby is an op and then it never gets that intense and then i almost missed the birth <laughs> That would be really so, nice. So that's also some perspective to yeah. put some back in the mind for later. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting too because I was telling Brad, I, you know, we were kind of like reviewing the videos earlier just to kind of like get ourselves back there and kind of review how things went down. And I was like, this is so crazy to be watching this when I'm preparing to do it again because I'm not far enough out to where I've totally forgotten. <laughs> Mm. which I think is a like defense mechanism that God put in place so that you will keep reproducing as you do end up forgetting. And I'm not like totally there. And so it's really, and I'm, I'm in the first trimester, things have been a little tiny bit rough. And so it's like not the best time to be like, you know, totally remembering how hard birth can be. And I was sharing that with him and he's like, you want to tell him about the, the diver? that you've been watching mm -hmm. on YouTube? Yeah, I followed this um, like a professional high diver. She's like a competitive high diver of some sort, but I got into her videos because she's always talking about like, she's showing videos of her like throwing up the morning of the competition. She's talking about like being on the, the platform and she's like feeling terrible. Like I'm like so scared, like miserable. And I was like, Wow, I didn't think, you know, but then she's like competitive at a high level and she gets, you know, wins competitions and gets medals and stuff. And it's like, wow, that's, you're really interesting because you just kind of assume that like after a while, you just sort of lose the fear and the nerves and the anxiety that kind of come with doing these, um, you know, risky endeavors, I'll just call them. But like, um, but yet like all you really do is, you know, you don't lose the physiological response. What you learn to do is sort of either ignore it or harness it or master the situation in some way. And then this person is like falling from a platform and doing like the perfect amount of twists and landing, like, you know, within a few degrees of vertical every time. 
or with injury as the only other alternative. And so it's like, wow, like, you know, like, I mean, there's high stakes there as well. Like, and I mean, so I, you, I guess like you don't necessarily get rid of these negative feelings. You learn to do something else with them. Yeah. And it was like kind of a full circle thing today because just this morning, Waylon was randomly telling me about how he knows this person on this video he watches so brave because they did this, this and that. And, and I was like, you know how you get brave? And he said, how? And I said, because when you do things that are a little bit scary and you do them anyways, you, you become more brave. And every time you do it, you feel more and more confident and brave to do it because you've done it before. And then he came home and told me that. And I was like, wow, that's so true. Like as much as I said, I'll never give birth again. And how I see these videos and I'm like, Oh, it's going to be, I got to do it again. It's like, it's okay to feel that way and also still do it, you know, and just kind of like, go towards the fire kind of thing. So I I just have so much peace with birth now that like, it's okay. However it plays out, it brings so much purpose and it's such a blessing to get to do it. If you know, that's what's in store for me. So yeah, it's just nice to have these reminders, you know, to give you good perspective. Mm, that's a perfectly timed reminder for you then and thank you for being willing to reflect on your birth even though it still feels very fresh and maybe hard to do <laughs> yeah, but well, these are you. the deep lessons yeah yeah this is what it's about mm-hmm well, we love you. And again, thank you so much for sharing because it is vulnerable and it is um, really nice for other people to hear how folks walk through um, these challenging places because um, it, it just, you know, can give them some courage to be brave as well. And um and so, yeah, really grateful and also very, very excited for your your little blessing that is coming our way in, in a little while. <laughs> I'd love to talk with you more privately about that. I'm so thrilled for you guys. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate your time today and willingness to share about your journey your lessons your triumphs and everything in between um for everyone to learn along with you and be inspired by you guys so i appreciate you for how you walk through life in general um yeah it's an honor to get to know you guys more and more awesome thank you yeah thank you Likewise for this opportunity do you have any other tidbits that you want to share with people or are you interested in people being able to reach out to you or find you online? Brad and I, what's also interesting too, is that, you know, we invented a product shortly after Waylon was born when we were in the throes of new parenthood and we felt like our lives were flipped upside down. And we came up with an idea for a product that we felt would help parents to be more organized and efficient and help them maintain a stylish, you know, functional home that they had previously had, you know, before the chaos of new babies. And we literally have been working on this 
project ever since. And it's not that it takes four and a half years to make and design and create this product. It's just that we are doing it alongside, you know, new children and our, our other businesses. And so it's taken four and a half years, but we just received our first shipment. Um, and we're going to launch this product very soon. So that's something that's, um, that's something that's happening at Teensy Tidy Living on Instagram. Teensy Tidy is the name of our brand. And uh, yeah, it's just cool because it's it's very much entwined with our parenthood and like it's such a part of our journey because it's like it's like our our second baby in a way because we had Waylon and then we like gave life to this idea and we've been nurturing it ever since. So yeah, you can find that at Teensy Tidy Living on Instagram. Gosh, you guys are just full of exciting news today. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, wonderful. I look forward to checking that out. Thank you. Okay. We'll make sure to make a link of to that in the show notes as well. So okay, cool. Yeah. Thanks for doing that. Absolutely. All right, beautiful family. Thank you for your time. Thank you guys. Have a great day. Thanks for having us. You.